Ooh, another warm one. Out cutting the grass, maybe later tonight. What do you think? Push the lawnmower around. Good times had by all. You have those grass-cutting shoes, the running shoes that have seven holes in them already. Now you've tinted them green because you've decided, yeah, these are these are grass-cutting shoes. No? Actually, you don't have to cut the grass much right now because it's not really growing. But here's a question for you. If you could just take your grass and get rid of it, if you've been to Vegas before or anywhere in, say, Arizona or New Mexico and you wander around, what do you see? You see decorative rocks, sometimes lava rocks. I don't know why you'd put lava rocks on your front yard. It's a little sharp. You could skin a knee or a leg. But if you look around, they get away from lawns. So if you didn't have to cut your grass ever again, and if you live in an apartment building... You already know what that feels like. Oh, it's a nice feeling. It's a nice feeling. You don't have to do it. But for anyone who does have to do it, and and anyone who's trying to keep a manicured lawn, you know that when old Dalton McGinty tried to become the green premier or dun, 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 throw on a cape and whatever he was, superhero, whatever he was trying to do before he left office, you know that he took away a lot of the pesticides that were being used. And you know what? There's bonuses to that. Let's face it. For pets, for small children, you don't want that stuff on the lawns. That's that's probably a good thing. You don't want that stuff leaking into our water system. Again, probably a good thing overall. But it makes it hard to keep that perfect manicured lawn. The clover seeps in. The crabgrass starts to spread. Things pop up. You can't even identify them. The ones that look like carrots, only you pull them out of the ground, there's no carrot on the end. Yeah. What if you could just do away with your lawn entirely? We're going to see how possible that is in London, Ontario, because a woman did it in Toronto. She actually replaced her lawn with a type of astroturf or field turf picture running around TD Stadium. And... Everything was fine for a little while, and then somebody notified the bylaw enforcement office, and now she's fallen under a bylaw in Toronto that says 70% or 30%, we'll look into that before we get to the story, but a percentage of your lawn has to be what is called soft turf, and field turf and astroturf, they do not count. Those are not soft turf at all. So... She's got to figure out what to do because she turned her lawn into AstroTurf. She's been enjoying it. I don't know whether a neighbor complains. We'll get to more of that story in about a half hour from now. But just think of it this way. If you could get rid of it, would you get rid of it? No more lawnmower. No more green shoes. No more grass clippings. No more sweating in the sunshine. Gone. Just turf or decorative rock formations. Think about it. Half hour from now, we'll get into it. Thanks to Jess Brady for filling in last week on London Live. Jess did a fantastic job. It is great to be back. Spent some time painting. Spent some time weeding. Maybe that's where I got this grass idea from. I don't like weeding. And the weeds, they just keep coming back. Spent some time at the pier side in Port Stanley with Nolsey. Oh, that was a nice day. That was a very, very nice day. So it was a nice, relaxing vacation. But we've got a lot of things to get to as we come back this week. We have, of course, a big casino meeting tomorrow. If it's not in London, 
chances are it's going to be somewhere close. So if London City Council were to look and say, yeah, you know what? No casino. We don't think this is going to work. We have some major concerns. Here's the vote. And it turns out to a no vote. It would go somewhere else right close by. It really would. So one of the concerns is, of course, problem gambling. And that's a serious issue. It really is. Talk to somebody who deals with that. That is a serious issue. And it's something that if that place to go is right there and easily accessed, you're going to go there. And, you know, you're going to perhaps blow a lot of money that you're going to wish you still had. But if it's not in London, it's going to be close by. So that isn't something that we are getting rid of. Not in my mind. Not in a lot of minds. That's not something you would be avoiding. So the other thing you would not get is proceeds from the casino if it was not in London. If you said no. So you'd be turning down provincial money. You would still have the potential for problem gambling. It would just be a longer drive away, not much more, but a little longer drive away. And so does that mean we just do we cave in? Is, is that what we do? All of a sudden, I feel like the general manager of a professional sports team who has somebody saying, you know, I only want to go to the Yankees and the Houston Astros. I don't want to go anywhere else. That's where you need to trade me, and we'll just leave it at that. Tell me when you get that deal done. You feel kind of like that, where you're kind of pushed into doing something. So how exactly do we deal with this? Well, it's something we'll discuss at 2 o'clock on London Live, so in about an hour from now. We almost had an asteroid hit Earth city-killing asteroid. I don't know if you've seen this story. No one knew it was coming. This is not the first time we've heard this. So a little later on in the show, we're going to find out how an asteroid that could wipe out an entire city, I'm not even sure how big the city would be, big probably, we're going to find out exactly how that goes undetected and then appears in the stratosphere. In about four minutes from now, we'll get an update on the hunt for Cam McLeod and Briar Schmigelski. There's been a development there. This is a story that is capturing people worldwide. These guys have been out in the bush for seven days now. They are wanted on murder charges. And now there has been a sighting. Apparently they were foraging, scavenging something-ing a little while ago. And so we'll get that update in just a couple of minutes. Let's say hi to Marilyn as we kick off Monday. Marilyn, how are things? Oh, pretty good. It's good to hear you back. And I just love Jess. She's such a beautiful person. That she is. Well, Marilyn, it's great to hear you back. You're keeping well? Think the summer's going okay? Oh, yeah, it's hot. But, you know, uh, it's such a beautiful day out today. I've got all the windows open. It's the way to live. Yeah, and I'm glad you had a good holiday, dear. You deserved it. Well, I'm I'm back and ready to get going with a whole lot of info. So, Marilyn, it's great to hear from you. Uh, we will talk again, I'm sure, this week. Well, I'm your number one fan. Can I put that on a poster? Yes. Okay. Uh, old Marilyn. Eh? I've never had a number one fan. So. Well, I bet I'm your, maybe I'm her oldest fan. I don't know. I'm 85 in January. We're going to celebrate that. You and I are going out. <laughs> 85 is a milestone. Well, it is a milestone. The kids want to be to have another um, party, our uh, open house. And, and Andrew Lawton came to my open house. He came at 2 and stayed till 5. Well, look at that. Well, if oh, you have an open house, you let me know, Marilyn. I will be there. Would you really oh, be Oh, for there? sure. Oh, 
You're, you're my number fa- one fan. Look at your your whole family is invited. I, I'm looking forward to this, Marilyn. We'll get to the details in just a little bit. You enjoy the open windows and the Monday afternoon. Okay, and bring the dog. No dog yet. There no. will not be a dog. Okay, there will, there will not be. A, you know what I read today, Marilyn? You have a good afternoon. I read today that if you are going to raise a medium-sized dog until the age of eleven, it's going to cost you about sixty-five hundred bucks. I'm too cheap for a dog. That's my new argument against getting a dog. I don't want a dog. I'll take a dog that's twelve or thirteen. Give it a great last couple years of its life, no problem. Any younger than that? No, I don't want the $6,500 part. So, we're going to talk casinos, we're going to talk lawns, we are going to talk asteroids that nearly wiped out an entire city on this planet. But first, this is a search that is all of a sudden encompassing a whole lot of this world because the world is now paying attention. This has hit international news wires and it's playing out in Canada. The search for an 18-year-old and a 19-year-old wanted for murder. Briar Schmigelski, who is the 18-year-old, Cam McLeod, who is the 19-year-old, and we just had an update about 45 minutes ago from RCMP Corporal Julie Corshane. Now, keep in mind, this is still a search. We always get that TV mentality, that law and order mentality, that an update means something incredibly significant. So right now, we have not made contact with them, so we still need to try and locate them and identify who these individuals are. So, there has been a sighting. It's been near where a search had been. And for the latest details on this, we welcome to London Live broadcast journalist Clay Young, who you can hear on 680 CJOB in Winnipeg. Clay, thanks so much for the time. Thanks for having me again. Clay, let's, let's go over what this latest development may mean. What has been reported? Well, to take you back, uh, this happened about 5 o'clock yesterday afternoon. Some members of Winnipeg's Bear Clan Patrol uh, were in the York Landing area. And how the Bear Clan got involved in this, uh, the Bear Clan was set up a number of years ago. It's based in Winnipeg. Uh, Most of its members are Indigenous. You know, they're volunteers. But they do such good uh, work in this community, do great work in this community. They patrol Winnipeg's north end. It's been known to have some issues with crime. They look for missing persons. They break up squabbles. They pick up lots of discarded needles lying in the street. They sort of work hand in hand with Winnipeg police. So they got a call. It's leader because I was texting the leader back and forth. Uh, his name is James Fable. They got a call from uh, some northern Manitoba chiefs saying. Hey, listen, we've got heavy police presence up here. Can you guys uh, come up and and just kind of act as ambassadors while the RCMP are knocking on doors in the communities just to let everyone know, hey, it's cool if they just want to come in and have a quick look around. So some members went up uh, yesterday uh, to York Landing, uh, which is by the, the main area, Gillum where these two individuals were definitely spotted. So there's two members of the Bear Clan, and they're just kind of driving around, getting a feel of the area. They go up by the dump, and that's where one of the members says he saw two tall, skinny individuals kind of rummaging through the the dump uh, when these two individuals noticed 
that they were being watched, they quickly ran back into the bush. The members contacted Mr. Fable, who contacted the RCMP, who immediately sprung into action, saying, uh, sending a contingent uh, from Gillum uh, to York Landing, which is about 25 or so. It's about 90 kilometers. I'm sorry. It's about 90 kilometers southwest of Gillum. It's only accessible by air or ferry, but there are some trails that will lead up to York Landing. So it's conceivable these two could have walked up there. And uh, the the chief of York Factory is uh, telling telling us now there's some 30 officers on the ground. they got the dog team out there. Helicopters are hovering over the air. So that's where we are right now. But that clip you uh, played of uh, Constable Corshane, saying they cannot confirm that these two individuals that were seen by the dump are, in fact, the men that are probably the most wanted in Canada right now. We are talking with Clay Young, and we are talking about the search for Briar Schmigelski, who's 18, Cam McLeod, who is 19. How are people kind of treating this in the areas that you mentioned, whether it's now York Landing or some of the surrounding areas? How much kind of unrest is there among people? Well, the chief of of, uh, York Factory, uh, Leroy Constant, uh, says until these suspects are captured, uh, there is a sense of fear in the community. And I just interviewed the mayor of Gillum, uh, on uh, CJOB yesterday, your course affiliate, and uh, the mayor there uh, admitted to me that he hasn't really had a good night's sleep since this all began. A lot of frazzled nerves in both communities, and the big question is, like, how have they managed to elude such a massive police presence? Uh, I'm not suggesting these guys are mountain men, but they sure seem to be able to handle handle themselves in some pretty harsh conditions. Well, and that's just it. We <laughs> we live in Ontario, and right now in southwestern Ontario, you might see the odd mosquito at night. Nothing too big. You have to go out into the woods in order to even find a good host of mosquitoes or deer flies. What is life like in and around the area of York Landing right now in the summer? Funny you should mention that the RCMP, who did make it up there, uh, part of this uh, contingent that, that has been split up now, uh, they took a picture of a polar bear uh, that it was just roaming around near the community. So you're, you're thinking, okay, you got polar bears, uh, you've got mosquitoes that are that are apparently huge. Uh, as far north I've been in, in Manitoba is Thompson, and that Thompson is up north, but it's nowhere near as north as these communities you're talking about. There's bog, there's muskeg. Uh, it's it's tough sledding, but if in fact these two individuals are the suspects, you know they have they have made quite the trek, and and somehow they they continue and baffle a lot of people as to. Why haven't they been caught? Yeah, and that's that is the question. I mean, if Canadian forces set up a herc that's got high tech equipment. I mean, they, I've been reading about the sniffer dogs that the police have up there, and they can they can uh, smell out pretty much anything. So it, it's it's really kind of uh, you have to take a step back and say, okay, how are they doing this?
Well, Clay, like you mentioned, this has not been confirmed that it is these two individuals in and around York Landing, but it would certainly fit a description that they'd be scavenging in a dump area just trying to find something to eat at this point. We'll wait to see what this uncovers. We really appreciate the time this afternoon. Hey, thanks for uh, thanks for having me. We'll keep you updated. We'll talk again. Okay. Bye-bye now. Clay Young, who you can hear on CJOB, Global News Radio, in Winnipeg. So that's, you know, it's difficult to look at this and explain why these two individuals have been able to evade police. But you get up there and you think about the expanse of land that you would be covering. This this is thick brush. They have gone to a place where they obviously are comfortable enough. And again, there is no definite identification that it was these two individuals. If you missed it, we were talking with Clay Young and we were talking about the search for Briar Schmigelski and Cam McLeod. It was a dump area around York Landing where two taller individuals were spotted, young individuals were spotted by the Bear Clan Patrol, who've been a big help in the search in all of this. And when they were seen, they took off into the woods. So... You know, how many people are actually up there who would be foraging through a dump area and then when seen wouldn't walk over and say, hey, you know what, we're actually we're looking for this. Can you help us out? Because we're talking about very northern areas here. You you would want to talk to somebody just because they were there. The fact that these two took off, well, makes it a little suspicious, makes it fit the description. But as of right now, no definitive identification. If that changes during London Live or after 3 o'clock as we get into news on 980 CFPL, of course, we'll bring you any updates and any information. But the fact, as Clay pointed out, that they have been able to survive the bugs, the fact that there are bears, even polar bears, in and around that area, and they've been able to evade all of that, if in fact these are the two people in question... (sighs) That's not easy. That's that's not a fun existence. How many people would have just said, you know, um, this doesn't look good for us. They are murder suspects. That's not necessarily a great thing. Who knows what they have actually done? If what they've done is what they've been accused of doing, then they're facing very, very long prison sentences. But how many people would have just said, okay, uncle, I'm I need to come back in. I I can't do this anymore. But these two have not been in that situation as of yet because they haven't turned themselves in. You had one of the RCMP officers saying later last week, you know, the the one thing that can happen is if these people try and stay away long enough, they may not survive it just because of the Manitoba wilderness at this time of year. Let's go back to the phones. Bob, how are you doing? Hey, I'm doing good, Mike. Uh, how was your vacay? It was pretty good. Nice and relaxing. That's just way it should be, right? Mm-hmm. Hey, so, yeah, I've been, you know, everybody's been following the story. Uh, I used to fight, when I lived in northwestern Ontario, for about five years, I fought forest fires out of Kenora. And I'd been up in that area for weeks at a time in so the bush. what is it like? How do you survive up there? Well, I'll tell you, I, I'm impressed that these guys are still roaming around because, uh, just my experience and the crews that uh, you know I worked with up there, and I worked at about the same latitude as as uh, um, as Thompson and, and uh, um, Gillum on the uh, the Ontario side of the border. Um, I've spent 
like three, four weeks in tents, canvas tents, sleeping on the forest floor. And that's sheltered area. And I'll tell you, that it is brutal because when the sun goes down and the bugs come out, um, well, we used to cook our suppers uh, in the dark because we'd work 16-hour days, right? And uh, we were eating more some mosquitoes and black flies on our food than, than we were. I'm not kidding you. It was that bad. Um, it, it, it's pretty brutal to be able to survive out there without the shelter. Um, so these guys... They must. They must have some. They must have some kind of a background, or they studied up on something, to, uh, just to be able to uh, withstand the uh, you know the elements. Because you know, still the nights get cold, right? And then the bugs come out. So I don't know what they're doing. They can't build a fire. Yeah, there's so, so many things that they cannot do, and yet they've been able to evade detection to this point, except for somebody maybe seeing them by sight. Bob, we got to run for news. Thanks so much for the call. Yeah. Okay. Have a good day. Take care. 519-643-2222. As always, you can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. You can find me on Twitter at Stubbs980. We'll take a break. We're going to talk about whether or not you would get rid of your lawn if it was affordable enough to do it. You had it? We don't have to cut it much because of the weather we've had around here. But we'll look at a story out of Toronto, and then we'll look at what the London bylaw says you can and cannot do. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Who wants to cut the grass as soon as you have someone old enough in your family who can push the lawnmower? Hey, guess what job is yours this summer? This lawnmower? Let's learn how to use it. Let's be safe. Push it in the right direction. Never pull it. But it's your job to cut the lawn. Welcome to close to adulthood. It is something you have to deal with. What if you don't want to deal with it anymore? And anymore, we've got all kinds of weeds that creep up. It's harder to keep a nice manicured lawn. What if you could dump it? Would you? Would you do it? In Toronto, somebody tried and was told, uh, you've got to bring back some grass. We'll get to that story and talk about what you are and are not allowed to do in London. And right now, it's about as clear as the mud under that grass. This is London Live on Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Are you tired of cutting grass? Maybe you were in the spring because grass was actually growing then. Now it's kind of stalled a little bit. Yeah, we're getting some thunderstorm action, and John Wilson told us earlier today we could see a little bit more thunderstorm action later today. But we're not getting the rain that's causing the grass to grow. In fact, here's a question even before we get into what we're going to be chatting about. Is anyone who owns a lawn even watering it anymore? Unless you've put in an irrigation system. I haven't walked around any Richie Rich areas recently, but in regular old suburbia, I think fewer people are watering their lawn. You're just letting it go brown. You know what that does? It kills off some of the weeds, some of those nasty ones that creep all the way through. Of course, if it kills off grass, weeds are the only things that seem to grow. But if you could do away with your lawn, never have to cut it again. And there are some pretty impressive synthetic lawns out there. Is that something that you would even entertain? Maybe the next question is, is that something you could even entertain? Now, Alan has emailed Mike at 980cfpl.ca, and he says, there are plenty of people in London without real grass in their yard. You just don't hear about it. He says, his is fake. 
Pond and rock gardens, no weeds, just enjoy. Dogs can pee, no brown grass. Just vacuum it once in a while, spray it with water if needed. Still drains water, no problem. Looks perfect all year long. No wasted water to keep it green. So, obviously, they are in existence. Now, here's where we got into this. There is a woman in Toronto who has put in fake grass and has been told that in Toronto a percentage of your yard needs to be what is called soft turf. So you actually have to have some natural grass. And now she's in a bit of a fight to keep this particular type of grass or astroturf that she has, this artificial grass, because the bylaw says you can't really cover your entire yard in it. So we went looking at what London says And in a moment, we'll get into London's bylaw, because this is something that bylaw enforcement officers apparently haven't had to deal with. Maybe, like Alan's yard, everybody's looks beautiful, so if you don't have real grass, nobody's complaining. Would you complain if your neighbor put down astroturf? Or would you put down some kind of astroturf? Phone lines are open. You'd get rid of the lawnmower. You'd save on the, what? What does it cost us? 15 bucks in gas every year to use the lawnmower these days? It doesn't cost you a lot, depending on the size of your lawn. If you have a big lawn and a riding lawnmower, well, you're paying a whole lot more, and you probably wouldn't be able to afford putting in field turf or artificial grass. But if you have a postage stamp yard and you just want to get rid of the grass cutting, have things look nice, water drains off it, never have to water it, never have to cut it, would you do it? 519-643-2222. We'll get into whether or not you even can do it in London. Alan points out people are already doing it. The bylaw is kind of vague because I don't think it's ever been challenged. We'll read it next. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Okay, let's dig into the story and then how it would affect you, your neighborhood, and the bylaws in the city of London. Sangeeta Gounder in Toronto laid down some synthetic grass. To look at it from far away, you wouldn't be able to tell. You really wouldn't. It just looks like really, really green grass. There is a bylaw in Toronto that says a minimum of 75% of the front yard must be soft landscaping. Artificial turf doesn't count. So we've had Sangeeta told she's got to get rid of that. Or she faces a $1,400 fine. Now, it is not cheap to put this stuff down. It's anywhere between 5 and 20 bucks a square foot. So let's do some quick math here. Let's say you've got 50 feet of frontage in a suburban neighborhood times what? 30 feet up to the door? Is that is that fair? Is that enough? Well, that works out to a great big bill of 50 times 30. Uh, that's, hang on, 50 times 30, that's more than 1,500. Oh, 50 times 30, hang on, by 20. There we go, 30,000 bucks. That's what it would cost you, 30,000 bucks to put it in. And if you look at the pictures that exist of this artificial grass, again, it's got some leaves in it. You wouldn't really know that it was artificial lawn, but they've got a bylaw in Toronto. We'll deal with what London says in just a moment. Mike, do you have or would you put in artificial grass? 
pay stuff. So I don't have a problem with it. My general rule is people should be allowed to do whatever they want to do for the most part. But I think if uh, you're going to be upset with people for using plastic bags or uh, on any of the uh, jumping on the global warming bandwagon where everybody's got to watch everything they do, uh, putting in fake grass would be a pretty big one, I would think, because uh, the grass actually filters the air, whereas plastic is... Uh, not as great. So I would think that would be a quicker thing to crack down on than trying to get people to stop using plastic bags and whatnot and plastic straws. Yeah, you know, it, there would be some similarities in the way that that all went together. So you wouldn't, would you ever do it yourself? You like lawn mowing too much? Uh, we have a pretty large, large yard and I don't, we keep it nice, but uh, we're not going to pay to water and for sure not going to pay to uh, pay to put plastic grass down. Hey, Mike, thanks so much for the call. Thank you. 519-643-2222. You can email Mike at 980cfpl.ca. So where do we sit in London? There are people who do not have grass on their lawns. Alan has pointed out, yeah, that exists. He is one of the people who does not have grass on your lawns. How exactly does the bylaw read in London, Ontario? Well, the thing about the bylaw in London, Ontario is it's kind of unclear because it's never really been challenged. Here's how it, it is termed. Landscaped open space. So that's, that's your lawn, that's your yard. If you own property in London, Ontario, you probably also own landscaped open space. So it is the open space which is used for the growth and maintenance of grass, flowers, shrubbery, other landscaping, can include any surfaced walk, patio, swimming pool, or similar area, but does not include access driveway, ramp, parking area, bus parking area, rooftop area, or any open space beneath or within any building or structure. The thing that's been pointed out to us is there is and other landscaping. Wouldn't wouldn't that be artificial grass? So you could make a really good argument in London that, yeah, you could put that down. Would you have neighbors complaining? I wonder if it was 1970s Veterans Stadium in Philadelphia, AstroTurf. That stuff, that was, that was like green carpet. That was like green Berber. Not even, Berber was softer than that stuff. That stuff was a little little tiny covering of green on cement. If you had a neighbor who did that, would you have a problem with it? I don't know. I mean, you take a look at, at how nice the stuff looks. I'd give up my lawnmower. I really would. Mike makes a good point. You know, grass is actually helping to filter through the environment, the air, all of that sort of stuff. But it's, it's no different than kind of paving over your lawn. I always get a kick out of the people who put down rocks especially in this area. Maybe in desert climates, it's a little bit different. But in this area, you put down a whole front yard of rocks, and that can happen too, because we've got airborne weeds. How much weeding do you enjoy doing? I'd almost rather cut the grass than I would weed the lawn. Wouldn't you? Weed the rocks? So that is the bylaw in London. That's how things sit. If you're willing to spend about $30,000, you can put down AstroTurf, field turf that looks good, that you never, ever have to cut. We're going to take a break. Up next, I want to get into something that is taking place in the sports world. And that's something has to do with having your cake and eating it too. 
which is kind of what putting down fake grass would be. You've got the look of it, but you don't have to tend to it. It's have your cake and it's eat it too. That's next. This is Global News Radio 980 CFPL. Where did the phrase having your cake and eating it too come from? Does that go all the way back to the French Revolution? Let them eat cake? Is it an offshoot of that? It might be. I don't know. But it's kind of like having an artificial lawn where you can have the look of the lawn but not have to do any of the care. And I keep seeing this come up in the sports world now that NFL training camps have opened up, now that Marcus Stroman has been traded by the Toronto Blue Jays, and it, it bugs me to see people who think they should be able to do it. If you want to have all of the beauty of, of a fake lawn and it looks real enough, have at it. That's not what this is about. But have your cake and eat it too doesn't stretch to very many places in life. And some of the best examples coming out of sports are coming out of the National Football League right now where you have a couple of running backs. One is a guy in Dallas, Ezekiel Elliott. One is a guy in L.A., Melvin Gordon, plays for the L.A. Chargers, who are not with their teams in training camp because they want new contracts. They still have contracts. In Ezekiel Elliott's case, he has two years left. But they want new contracts. Now, they signed deals a little while ago. They knew how long the deal was. They knew how much money they were going to earn in that deal. And they took a pen and they signed on the dotted line. They probably signed on a few dotted lines. You have to put down some initials. And they knew exactly what they were doing. And now they're looking around. And in the National Football League, the idea that running backs don't have a long shelf life because what's their job? Run forward, get hit. Run forward, get hit. Run forward, get hit. So eventually things start to break or at least break down. And now they're saying, well, because we don't have a long shelf life, we need to get paid a lot right away. So so I I need to be paid as much as some of these other guys. Well, that's that's having your cake and eating it too. And that's not the way the world should work. You should not be able to say, "Okay, I'm willing to sign this deal right now to ensure that I'm making a certain amount of money for a certain number of years. That way if I'm injured, I'm still very handsomely looked after." Oh, but wait. If other people start to make more money, I should be able to make as much money as them. That's not a provision in the contract. And this kind of attitude has to be stopped. It's been there for a long time. A lot of players have tried it. Players will sometimes have power based on how good they are. But it's nice to see the L.A. Chargers holding back on this. And then the other example in this, if you are a Blue Jays fan, and we've got Blue Jays baseball for you tonight, Jays are opening up a new series in Kansas City. And they are doing it with a very young team. There are now, what, two players left over from when they last made the playoffs a couple of years ago? Justin Smoke and Aaron Sanchez, that's it. They traded Marcus Stroman. And based on a number of different reports, Marcus Stroman was hoping to have his cake and eat it too. He knew he was going to be traded. And there are a lot of people that are giving a lot of flack to the Blue Jays' front office in all of this, saying they're doing a bad job, they're not getting enough or good enough prospects back, leave that alone. You have no idea how good these players are going to be. You had the number one prospect traded from Boston to the Chicago White Sox not too long ago, and he was, oh, he was the best prospect in baseball. He's been okay. He's been all right. He's been okay. But he hasn't been a superstar. You never know. 
So the Blue Jays have something. They've traded away an asset, and they've brought back assets. Players are commodities. They might not want to think of themselves that way, but that's what they are. They are commodities, and they have every right to go after as good a deal as they can get. But if you choose to sign on the dotted line of a deal, or if you choose to say, okay, I'm, I'm, going, to, I'm going to make myself available to my team, and I'm going to perform to the best of my ability, knowing full well that they could trade me at any time, that's just part of the business, then that's the world you live in. That's the life you are living and some of the reports from actually multiple sources that Marcus Stroman had some commotion after finding out he'd been traded to New York yesterday and yet not traded to the Yankees. Even his dad came out today and spoke publicly. And his dad was saying, yeah, Marcus Stroman was hoping to be traded to the New York Yankees. Instead, he went to a very dysfunctional organization in the New York Mets. Yeah, but you don't get that choice. And players who like to say, well, this is where I want to go. I, I only want to go to these places. Yeah. I mean, you get that luxury in signing the deal. Maybe you earn that position based on how good you are. But at the same time, there's protecting yourself and then there's having it both ways. You should be able to protect yourself. If you really, really do not want to play on Mars, then write that into your contract that if there is ever a team on Mars, I do not want to go to Mars. If you're good enough and your team is willing to grant you that, okay, that's, that's fine. But you can't not say that you don't want to play on Mars and then when you're traded to Mars say, well, no, 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 no. I, I don't, I'm going to have my cake and eat it too. I, I want things to work out perfectly for me because I am who I am. It shouldn't work that way. And these are bad things for athletes to be demonstrating. These are bad ways to believe that you should be able to operate. And to be upset that you got traded to the wrong New York, if in fact that's true, that's not right either. You are a commodity. You don't get to go and play for a World Series necessarily just because you want to. There are teams right now who are looking for players to try and help them win a World Series if they choose to trade for you, like Justin Verlander went from the Tigers to the Houston Astros. That's great. That's fine. If that doesn't happen, you deal with that. You don't sulk. You don't get angry. That's just that's the business. And the idea that you say, wait a minute, I'm a little worried here. I've signed a deal, but mm, I, I really think I need to be paid more just in case and I shouldn't have to honor this deal. That's wrong. And I hope that general managers and owners stand really strong against that because if you let that horse out of the barn, you're going to be in big trouble down the way because this has already happened at times throughout sports history, but now there's a lot more momentum to it and there's a lot more power among players. Because the window to win is a lot smaller, and you need the best of the best. And if you have it, they can hold that power over you. You shouldn't be able to, in life, have your cake and eat it too. Coming up, we're going to talk casinos. Is there have your cake and eat it too for London, Ontario? Well, there's, there's not have your cake and get nothing. There's let somebody else have the cake and you don't even get the leftover icing. There's that. We're going to talk about what is at stake tomorrow as the City of London, London City Council, gets together and meets to talk about the casino development from Gateway Casinos, 
and looks at whether or not to give this a golden thumbs up. There are counselors who do have concerns and will speak with three counselors in particular, and they are going to lay out what their concerns are, what they believe needs to be done, and what all of this could mean in the end. One of the things to think about is, if London says no, somebody else right nearby is going to say yes. You know that will happen. And then London would be exempt from any of the money accumulated, from what I can understand in, in the, the fine print. And that's, that's not necessarily where you want to be. Problem gambling? Yeah, that's, that's an issue. But in this particular case, you're not looking to have your cake and eat it too. You're just making sure you've got a seat at the table for the celebration. News is next. This is London Live. You're listening to Global News Radio 980 CFPL. A casino in London. A full-fledged casino in London. We know it's coming. We know the plans, the framework. Know the location. But we don't have the complete go-ahead. And that could be coming. Could be coming as early as tomorrow. So let's kind of break down what this all means, and then we are going to be lucky enough to hear from three different London City councillors, Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis, Ward 11 Councillor Stephen Turner, and Ward 12 Councillor Elizabeth Pelosa. And we're going to get their thoughts and their concerns on, on what needs to be in place to make sure that this operates the way that it should. So... Let's begin. Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis joins us on London Live. Councillor Lewis, how is Monday? Well, it's Monday, Mike, so, you know, it could be better. It could be Friday, but uh, <laughs> all, all things being equal, it's uh, it's a good day. It's also the eve of a pretty interesting discussion, perhaps, over a casino in London. Let's kind of lay the groundwork on this. What will be discussed tomorrow and what could happen tomorrow at City Hall? What we are discussing tomorrow at Council uh, is a planning application uh, to allow for the zoning at a property at the south end of Wonderland Road for a casino establishment. So we're not discussing whether or not we're going to have table gaming in London. That ship has sailed. That discussion has been had, the decision's been made, and it was a go. The discussion now is about this location that Gateway wants to establish their operations and whether or not we are going to allow the rezoning there. Now, in terms of the discussion, sometimes these things can be basic rubber stamps. In this case, how rubber is the stamp? Well, that's a very good question, and I come down to how focused council members are on what we are discussing tomorrow. We need to be focused on this as a planning application. We should not be distracted by conversations about, you know, social impact, the, the morality or immorality that some people may feel is, is at question. As I said, that discussion's been had. That vote's taken place. We've said we're going to allow table gambling. And the reality is, in this day and age, Mike, whether we host a, a casino in London or not, gambling is in our community. It's on our smartphones these days. Uh, and if it's not located here, it's certainly going to be located in the region. And we are still going to bear the cost of the, the social negatives that come with gambling. 
But what we are not going to have is the revenue stream that we get uh, from hosting the casino if we allow it to locate outside of the city limits at another venue. So uh, for me, this is, is very much a let's focus on the plan in front of us. Is this an acceptable location? Does it meet the, you know, the planning department's requirements? And the staff recommendation is yes, it does. The staff recommendation is that we should, we should approve this. Uh, so that's the discussion that we've got to have. Uh, not be distracted, and if we stay focused, then I think that uh, council should, in my opinion, agree that this is the, the right place to go ahead. Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis joining us as we talk about tomorrow night's discussion at City Hall regarding the planning application for a casino in London. So, Sean, let's let's actually go through what you had just pointed out, that if this is not in London, you don't get to take advantage of the revenue. How would that work? Well, the province and, and through the OLG and the, the different requirements that are in place around operating a gaming facility in the province, uh, the City of London uh, stands to have about $7 million in, in revenue for being a host community for a casino. On top of that, the location, uh, it is in private hands. Uh, it's not a city-owned property. We would be collecting property taxes on that location. So we also get the benefit of increased revenue to the city's general coffers. And, and that's money that we need for all kinds of things. Uh, the, you know, there's been lots of discussion in the community in the last several months about the need for social and affordable housing. Uh, there's infrastructure work that needs to be done all over the city. And these revenues are, are key to doing that. Well, we'll see what does come out of the discussion tomorrow. How confident are you that it, it can stay on track and just be about the planning application. If that's the case, it sounds like the stamp is, is really rubber. If, if we can stay on track with it being the planning application, uh, I think that this goes ahead without a whole lot of opposition. If people wander into the weeds, then I'm a little concerned, and I'm concerned about the message it sends. Gateway has, has been waiting to get a casino, a, a new casino facility, and whether it was at the Western Fair or whether it's at this location, you know, discussions have been ongoing for a couple of years now. Uh, they're not getting any revenue discussing with us. And and really, at the end of the day, my concern is if we say no to this, uh, and, and I've looked at the plan, I don't see anything terribly objectionable in there. I don't see anything in there that, uh, you know, the, the quote-unquote further community consultation is going to result in a major change to. What I see there is, do we want to keep the 300 or so jobs that we currently have at the casino at Western Fair and take the, the 700 or so new jobs that are going to come with this facility and, and have those 1,000 jobs in London? Or do we want to let those 1,000 jobs go to another community? Uh, and that, to me, is, is where the argument stops, is I want to find a way to make this work so that we keep those jobs, uh, so that Gateway can get their shovels in the ground and, and get people to work. Do you get the sense that Gateway is is still okay with the time that it has taken, or is this becoming a time-sensitive thing? No, I, I get the sense, and, and I've chatted with some Gateway officials. Time is, is of the essence on this for them. They're not making any revenue talking. They need to make their revenue by getting a location open. And other communities have been watching this with interest. If we think for a moment that there aren't already councillors and other municipalities looking at sites that might be a perfect fit for Gateway 
if London does not let them get their project underway, we'd be fooling ourselves. And I think that uh, those discussions could happen very quickly and uh, get Gateway what it needs within close to the same time frame uh, that they're looking at if we put any sort of delays in front of them now. Councillor Lewis, thank you so much for the time today. My pleasure, Mike. Ward 2 Councillor Sean Lewis. So that sets it up. We'll continue our casino discussion with Ward 12 Councillor Elizabeth Pelosa in just a moment. We'll get her thoughts on how tomorrow could go. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Let's continue our discussion about tomorrow's meeting regarding the planning application. And remember, that's that's what the meeting stands on. It is the planning application for a casino operated by Gateway Casinos in London, Ontario. Joining us is Ward 12 Councillor Elizabeth Pelosa. Councillor Pelosa, thank you so much for your time today. Thanks for having me on. Let's look at how you feel tomorrow will go. How do you see the discussion playing out even before mouths start to make it? Yeah, I noticed the Free Press already had an article about from their poll of councillors, which kind of gives a pretty good oversight of what everyone's already thinking. And what do you feel that is, that this is this is kind of mostly positive? It, it seems to be a lot of concerns over the jobs and treating it as a simple planning application. But I think the conversation is more than that. I know we're trying to keep it typically to the planning application, but there's some social concerns. I've heard concerns about traffic, human trafficking, light pollution, uh, ability to get there using public transportation and what that's going to look like, especially for those who need jobs out there. Um, I've heard some concerns about the setback from the road of how that changes the road landscape and walkability. So lots of different things and questions that we're fielding as as councillors, and I hope everyone is reaching out if they do have questions, so we can know what they are and we can address them appropriately. How much do those issues affect the planning application decision in front of you tomorrow night? Certainly some are just concerns in the back of my mind, like what we're going to do with this space if we do allow them to move. That's currently at Western Fair because that is owned by the city and that that's going to fall on us. And certainly some of them are planning application-wise of the setback, what the neighbors are going to think, that area is going to be zoned for residential. And if we put this there, is it going to affect the other opportunities we have to develop that area? Would How many residents would want to live with the casino right around the corner from them or in the backyard? Is it going to slow house sales and development are we going to accidentally cripple ourselves in that area if we move forward with this application and that's one of those things that that area has has had a lot of discussion about i mean what's it going to look like what's it going to be like how much do you feel this changes all of the discussions to this point i'm not sure if other counselors are aware of what this area has going on certainly close to that border and more 12 we have three different applications on the go right now and developers have their idea of what they want to do. Certainly the application that had came out of Western Fair with the hotel and everything has changed. The hotel is no longer part of this site plan. Doesn't mean another developer in that area won't have their own plans that will come forward in the future that we'll be made aware of. But right now that's been ditched um, for all intensive purposes. So it has restaurants, with which most people seem very excited about, of just different avenues to enjoy themselves in this end of town. But Lots to be discussed, and I hope that if councils have already made up their mind, or regardless of what they're thinking, that they at least share those thoughts with other councillors tomorrow night. And we'll make it a longer 
discussion and process, but we'd have more clarity of reasons for concerns that they're hearing from their constituents. You're talking with Ward 12 Councillor Elizabeth Pelosa about tomorrow's meeting at City Hall, City Council meeting, which will address the planning application for a casino operated by Gateway Casinos in London. And if we look at one of the things we were just talking about with Councillor Sean Lewis, it was the idea that if this did not go forward, that the casinos coming to this area anyway, that a lot of the concerns that people might have, they wouldn't be all that far away. They'd still be in this area, but the revenue would not be there from this casino. How big a a factor is that for you? That's certainly a concern that if it goes just outside of our city limits that we could use, we, well, we would lose uh, the revenue from property tax from them. For the job concern, if they move just that little bit further, there's not going to be a ban on hiring Londoners, so I'm not really concerned about that much further. But I'm wondering from Gateway's perspective, if they are pushed out that much further, how many Londoners would have put in that little bit of effort to get there if it's more of a social versus addiction for gambling for them? That, you know, you don't want to drive outside the city limits and come back, that you'd prefer it right here in the city where it's easily accessible. Certainly, we wouldn't have transit. If they did it outside the city limits, they'd have to hire shuttles or whatever their ideas would be to get their customers out further if they didn't have their own transportation. Well, Councillor Pelosa, it sounds like this could be a bit of a lengthy discussion tomorrow night, so uh, rest up. Yes, yes, I will. Take care. Thank you. Thank you. Ward 12 Councillor Elizabeth Pelosa. And to close out our conversation about this, we are able to talk with Ward 11 Councillor Stephen Turner, who some time ago had hoped for more consultation, um, was not necessarily in a position to say, okay, yeah, let's let's green light this instantly. Let's see how things are going now for Councillor Stephen Turner. Councillor Turner, thank you so much for being on London Live. How are things? Oh, well and yourself, Mike. Not too bad. Let's look at your particular feelings. You were hoping for more consultation. Do you feel you got what you were looking for at the time it was talked about at the committee level? Uh, so that was a week ago. Uh, and no, I don't think anything's really happened since then <laughs> with respect to consultation. Uh, I, there's there's a lot of uh, nuance to this file. I, I think I said at the committee that, uh, in fact, this, this file has probably been the most complicated that I've dealt with as a member of council. Uh, and that's saying a lot considering you know, some pretty complicated files we've dealt with over the past five years. So when you were looking for consultation, what kind of consultation were you looking for? Because I thought it might just be with, with Gateway. We were looking at something much bigger? Yeah, so uh, about a year, two years ago, we had a community consultation, which we needed to have to determine whether we would uh, would support expanded gaming in the city. We had those consultations. Uh, Londoners were, were generally supportive of expanded gaming within London, uh, and as a result, the uh, council uh, decided to uh, to support uh, expanded gaming. Uh, but also with that, we said that we would support it, and our preferred site was at the Western Fair. Uh, that was uh, that was over a year ago, and uh, we moved quickly to rezone the land at Western Fair on Gateway's behalf. Actually, uh, Gateway didn't uh, uh, didn't make the application; we did it for them, so that the land would be uh, ready and suitable for them to to be able to develop it. Uh, and this is the first that anything's come to council since then. So um, it's, it kind of comes out of the blue. We knew that they were working towards a location in the southwest, but this is the first time uh, in over a year 
that the city council has heard anything about the casino. So I think it's appropriate for us to kind of say, okay, this is, and this is certainly the first time this council has had a look, had a look at anything related to the casino, uh, that we have a conversation about that. One of the parts of the consultation was, uh, since I said we, we didn't discuss where it would be with the community, that the community might have some input over whether uh, they were supportive of this being located in the southwest or not. I think up until this point, uh, there had been the assumption that it would be at Western Fair. And, uh, and this puts it a little closer to neighboring First Nations communities, uh, and I think it's really important that they're involved in the conversation and they haven't been to this point. So those were the points that were raised last week at committee. We're talking with Ward 11 Councillor Stephen Turner. Councillor Turner, how about the, the time crunch? Are you feeling any kind of time crunch? Or do you feel council will feel a time crunch to, to get this finally going? And that could affect how long the conversation goes or what direction it goes in? Well, I think uh, there's uh, some perception that there's a time crunch. I'm not sure there's really one there. There might be one to Gateway. Uh, we asked to see the Casino Operating Service Agreement between Gateway and OLG, uh, and that wasn't provided to us. Uh, perhaps some, there's some clause in there that uh, has a, a time requirement for Gateway to get up and operating, uh, but we don't know what that is. Uh, with respect to uh, where we're at right now in the process, it's taken us over two, two and a half years to get to this point because in order to cite a casino within your community, there has to be a community consultation uh, and, a, and a resolution of council support for expanded gaming. That hasn't happened in any other community, to, to my knowledge. Uh, as well, you have to go through the zoning process. And that takes a bit of time, and, and here we are. I, I, we're pretty much ready to zone that parcel, but I think there's a couple questions that are left to be asked. Uh, and I think there's a, a couple site-specific questions that uh, I think should be addressed uh, and weren't at committee level last week, which is why we ended up with a split decision. So I'm not, I, I think the, uh, the deferral, uh, if this were to, to be delayed by three weeks, I don't think that's material. Uh, I don't think anybody else would be in a position to be able to mobilize uh, anywhere close because it'd be about a year to year and a half away from being able to, uh, to support casino gaming in their communities. I think we're ready. We've done so much work. Uh, the City of London has bent over backwards to support uh, Gateway. Uh, I think that uh, uh, to just say that, okay, let's give them whatever they want, I don't think that's quite appropriate. I think we need to to look at it with a critical eye and make sure that all the questions are answered. Ward 11 Councillor Stephen Turner joining us on London Live as we talk about casinos and the casino in London that could essentially get the green light from a planning standpoint tomorrow. They'll be looking at a planning application. Councillor Turner, you mentioned other municipalities not going through a certain thing. Is that is that something that they've just brushed by, been able to not do and, and yet go ahead with projects? No, no. I, I, I'm saying that the ones that have have had to go through all the same steps that London has had to go through. And uh, anybody else that would be a candidate for uh, for hosting Gateway uh, in our neighbors, if London weren't to get it, if so, there's been some some uh, some people raising the point that maybe they just go to a neighboring community. Those neighboring communities haven't started any of this process yet, uh, so uh, so they wouldn't be in a position to to quickly execute on that. I think London is uh, is miles ahead uh, with respect to uh, with respect to the process that needs to be done. So it's the difference between what you would see as a a slight delay to just go over the finer points versus a go back to square one. Yeah, and that's ex- exactly where I think we are. I, mean, I, I really don't think uh, we're at the point in the discussion where we're saying uh, gaming yes or gaming no. It's a question of making sure that uh, that the application is appropriate and well suited. Uh, I think there's 
some challenges with the location they're proposed. I don't think they're insurmountable, but I think it's important that they go through that process and uh, and address those concerns. Uh, the uh, the site plan that they're putting forward isn't consistent with the Southwest Area Plan. Uh, I think there's ways to to move through that, but um, but the the conversation ended up going a different direction and. Uh, and didn't really focus on the planning matters, which I think are really the important ones right now. Well, we'll wait to see what happens tomorrow night. Councillor Turner, thanks so much for your time. Yeah, thank you for yours, Mike. That is Ward 11 Councillor Stephen Turner. So there you have it. Councillor Turner is looking at perhaps saying we need to make sure that all the fine points, that everything, because this this is a big step in this. This is kind of that, okay, the site plan has been approved. Let's, let's really get this going. He points back to the committee meeting where the committee was split and says this this is something that does have some things that, that need to be addressed. You don't need to worry about a surrounding community getting it because they right now are not as far along as London is. And so he does not see a time crunch. Councillor Lewis talked a little bit more about a time crunch. And Councillor Pelosa looked at, at some of those finer points as well that, that will be brought up tomorrow. So this is not going to be the, okay, all in favor say aye, and then you count the ayes. This will likely have some more discussion to it where, yeah, you're looking at a planning application, but in order to give the green light to that planning application, you want to make sure that you're giving it the full green light and not just not just a little hazy one. You want that bulb to be shining brightly, right? Let's take a break for news. Still to come, a city on Earth almost got wiped out on the weekend. Which one? We don't know. We have no idea. But we'll talk about why that may have been. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. Here's a question. Are coffee filters that you put in a coffee maker at home, are they just designed to not fit? Is that something I'm remembering right? If you could email mike at 980cfpl.ca and let me know if that's the case, I will stop looking for ones that fit. We don't drink a lot of coffee at home, but every once in a while, so we've got coffee filters, and I was pretty sure I bought the wrong ones because they don't fit properly. And then we bought different ones, and I brought them home thinking, <laughs> got them now. Those other ones didn't fit. These ones? These ones are going to fit. They don't fit. Is that just a part of life where coffee filters do not fit coffee makers? And if that is the case, what's going on? Why are the coffee filter makers not talking with the coffee maker makers and getting together on this? Because, really, the coffee filters are a little bit bigger, at least the ones that I keep using, than the coffee maker little plastic pouch area, so the coffee filter makers could be saving money. This could be a good thing. They could charge the same. I don't know how much I should be paying for coffee filters, but you could take out a slice of what you actually have on your filter. Is this just a thing that happens? There are a lot of first world problems on the show today. Fake grass and now coffee filters that won't fit properly in coffee makers. Uh, First world problems will eventually turn into problems with our overlords. Who do you think has the best shot at being our overlord in 25 years from now? I guess 25 years or less. Amazon will be up there as a potential overlord. Google will be up there as a potential overlord. I don't know about Facebook. I'd put Facebook as as kind of a distant third in that race. Amazon, 
And Google, yeah, definitely overlord possibilities. Well, in Australia, they're doing something. They have decided that they are going to order that there be more transparency and more oversight of the overlords that are Google and Facebook and other operators like them. There are five investigations of Google and Facebook underway in Australia, and they are looking at updating their privacy law. And that privacy law would say people have to have the right to erase personal data stored online, and that that would go along with what some of the regulations in the European Union have demanded, that we need to have less stored data. But that's, that's what these things want. That's ultimately what Google wants. That's what Amazon wants. That's how they decide what we're doing. You know how many decisions are made off algorithms put together based on data that is collected? A ton. An absolute ton. And now Australia is saying, yeah, 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 we want people to go in and, and erase that personal data. That sounds great on the surface. And this is where we get to a pretty interesting crossroads. Are you willing to allow for the overlords, Google, Facebook, to collect data to, to show how you, how you shop, how you live, what you like, what you don't like, and that way they can help to provide a better product. It's, it's kind of like, you know, if you have someone who creates a brand new car, right? They make a new car and you get in it and then they send you that survey and they say, what do you like about your new car? Oh, you know what? The gas pedal is in a really bad spot. You know, way up there around my ear, that's tough. That's, it takes some getting used to. So they take that information and they make a different gas pedal. They put it back to where it used to be. They know that you don't really like that gas pedal. That takes an enormous amount of time if you're going to do it that way. That's very old-fashioned. If they can just collect data and form tendencies and create algorithms that react to that data, things happen much more quickly. And in the end, you get some bonuses. They find out what you like to buy. Okay, big deal. They find out other information about you. I don't want to get into what that can do by way of encouraging people to vote one way and not vote one way and that sort of thing. But that's what we're dealing with here. And it's all well and good for a government to step up and say, you know what we're going to do? We're going to make them more accountable and we're going to tell them that they have to erase data. And uh, Okay, well, you're wrecking a system that's in place is what you're doing. You're actually damaging the system if you do that. But do we want to live under the overlords that are Google, Amazon, and maybe even Facebook? That's the ultimate question in all of this. And you know what the answer is? Yes. Yes, we do. We want the luxuries, and with the luxuries come the collection of data. We'll take a break. Up next, we may not have been able to worry about any of the first world problems we've worried about on the show today because there was a big old asteroid that came really, really close to hitting Earth on the weekend. I'm not talking about a million miles away. It came not 500 feet away. We didn't feel the wind as it went by. That wasn't what that big breeze was on the weekend. But seriously, we didn't know this thing was coming. We'll find out more about it in a moment. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL. There was quite a stiff breeze over the weekend. It actually wasn't too bad. Look at how hot it would have been if that breeze had not been there. That would have been a really 
warm weekend. Instead, not as bad. It was not a breeze caused by an asteroid getting pretty close to where we happen to sit on this planet. But that doesn't mean that an asteroid didn't pass by where we happen to sit on this planet. Joining us right now to talk about one that got, as it's been described, scarily close to Earth is Parshani Patel, Outreach Program Coordinator at the Center for Planetary Science and Exploration at Western University. Parshani, thank you so much for being here. Thanks for having me. So when we talk about how close this thing actually got, uh, let me look. It was it was 95,000 miles by one account. Another said 45,000 miles. Uh, how close is that in a planetary perspective? Yeah, so that's actually 20% of the distance between Earth and the moon. So that's pretty close if you count, you know, how far the moon is, 365,000 kilometers. This is around 70 to 80,000 kilometers Whoa. away from Earth. So this would have been between Earth and the moon if, if, if it passed through that trajectory, but, but that, yeah. it would have been inside that distance? Yeah. Whew. And th- this was not a, a tiny little pebble, was it? No, this was actually somewhere around, so the estimates are anywhere from 57 to 130 meters in size. So it's, you know, smallish in terms of the, the amount of asteroids that we have known, but big enough to create a havoc if it were to land on Earth. Now, by havoc, um, obviously when something like that touches down, it, it would make a big hole. What if it touched down in a populated area? How big a hole would something like that potentially make? Uh, so quite, quite a big. So if you can think of like, you know, it being 130 meters, it could be anywhere from a few kilometers to a few, you know, a few tens of kilometers in size in terms of the crater. Um, but if you think in terms of energy, um, this, you know, if it were to land on, on any part of earth, it would create somewhere around 20 to 30 times the energy of the Hiroshima bomb. If you can, you know, imagine how much that would be. 20 to 30 times that. Okay, then this, yeah, they've called it a city killer. Uh, it might be uh, more than just a city killer in this. It might be a couple of cities. The thing about this, and we're talking with Parshati Patel, Outreach Program Coordinator for the Center for Planetary Science and Exploration at Western University. The thing about this is we didn't know it was out there. We we didn't know it was coming until till when? Yeah, until like a week ago. So until a week before it actually passed Earth. So it's actually not, uh, you know, it's very common for us to not know because a lot of these are coming from the side of the sun. So we're kind of blinded by the the sun's light to be actually able to detect these things. So, uh, you know, not very uncommon in in terms of the scientist's life, but kind of uncommon if we know that this is going to actually hit Earth, that would have been... Uh, not fun. No, not fun. But it, we always do have to look at it from the, the science perspective. It's always, it, when you're talking about the weather, you always look at the, the meteorologists and say, okay, well, meteorologists don't bring an umbrella when there's a 30% chance of rain. That doesn't bother them at all. To us, it sounds like, oh, no, 30% chance of rain. Yeah, it could rain. But they're, they're not even bringing an umbrella. They're not concerned. In the science community, how much concerned this kind of tip off? 
So I think we we are well aware of these kinds of threats that we know that we are monitoring, let's say, in around 20,000 of these that are very close to Earth. But then we know that there's a huge portion out there that we don't actually monitor. So, you know, we are as kind of a community preparing to, you know, simulate the scenarios that if this were to happen, how much time ahead of, you know, its arrival do we need to know? What are the precautions that we could take? What are, you know, possible ways of actually diverting it from its current orbit? So we are actually preparing. There was a conference earlier in the year dedicated to this, you know, basically figuring out what we would do if there was one to actually land on Earth and if we had a certain time frame. Um, so we are mentally and, you know, kind of scientifically preparing for it. But again, sometimes we only have a week before we actually know it's coming towards our not being in the science community, most of us, the best reference we have is Armageddon with Bruce Willis, where Bruce Willis gets up and he gets on the asteroid, and I won't ruin the, the ending for anybody who hasn't seen Armageddon, but it, would, would it be possible to do something like that in a really short order? Do we have that technology, or would it be mostly if, if this was a week, a month out, and we found out about it, it would just be uh, sit back and, and hope it missed us? Uh, so I think it depends. If we had years, we could actually, you know, send um, spacecraft to actually change its trajectory. That's probably one of the safest ways to try to blow it up closer to Earth is not a good, you know, even though it has been proposed as one of the ideas, you can imagine if they were to do that, they'll be just many more smaller pieces coming <laughs> towards Earth rather than one big one. Um, so, you know, we are, we have ideas of what we could do. We certainly don't, we are not fully prepared if this were to happen, let's say, w one week from now. Um, but, um, you know, we are starting to make ourselves more prepared on what we could do and what amount of time frame we would need in case something like this happens. You did mention years. That would obviously be the, the best case scenario that you spotted something coming around the sun and it wasn't going to be here for years. Yeah, definitely, because that will allow us to, you know, try a few different tricks to kind of, you know, divert it from its trajectory and just make sure it comes from nowhere close to Earth. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd, I'd kind of like that, too. We're talking with Parshati Patel, Outreach Program Coordinator for the Center for Planetary Science and Exploration at Western University. Over the weekend, an asteroid that some have estimated at 427 feet wide came, as Parshati pointed out, between the Earth and the Moon. If you want to look at distance, it was, it was inside that and missed Earth by, well, roughly 45 thousand miles which sounds like a lot but when we're talking about great big asteroids it actually was not how much of a topic is this right now you mentioned a, a conference that discussed it is there is there planned future conferences could this come up more and more um i think uh, we they you know scientific in scientific community there are regular um conferences that talk about you know just not the asteroids but also uh, meteors which are basically these you know shooting stars that people normally see at night there are tons of these dedicated conferences to not only talk about the kinds of asteroids their speeds uh, you know what is their percentage of them ending up here or close to earth um so so there is a constant yearly conferences that discuss these things but we're well aware of you know the the kind of danger these asteroids could pose and you know we are as a community working towards a solution that's you know, we don't want to get, go the way um, dinosaurs did, so we're trying to prepare ourselves for what it could be. Well, we really appreciate you outlining what is in place right now and, and what happened this past weekend. Parshani, have a great day. You too. 
That is Parshati Patel, Outreach Program Coordinator for the Center for Planetary Science and Exploration at Western University. So it was close. They're looking at it, but sometimes, you know, we're not... We're not, we're not in, in the business of being able to zip out to space and just say, oh, yeah, 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 let's get the big laser. And we'll just we'll blow that to smithereens, as Parshati even pointed out. You do that and you do risk bringing a whole bunch of rocks raining down on Earth. Uh, you, you just kind of hope. Uh, it's kind of like that earthquake out in L.A. that it, it's there at some point. Uh, some rock is probably going to hit us at some point. You just hope it's... Not during our lifetime, right? Or you hope that there's a Bruce Willis, a real-life Bruce Willis out there somewhere. There is, right? There, That's not just in the movies. Steven Tyler had that great song from that movie, Stay Awake Just to Hear You Breathing. Yeah, could we... Could we I don't know. I don't want to live that particular movie script. It, it, it wasn't as strong as it could have been. Let's take a break. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFBL. Just happy to still be here. The city wasn't wiped out by a big old asteroid on the weekend. In fact, congratulations to everybody who was part of Pride Fest or the Pride Parade yesterday. You know what? It was probably put best on Twitter. And I want to make mention of this by Chad Callender. Here was Chad's tweet. I really liked this. 126 floats, over 10,000 marchers, 14 volunteers, 25,000 people watching, but his favorite number from the Pride Parade yesterday, zero. What do you mean zero? Isn't it better to say 126 floats, 25,000 people watching, 10,000 marchers, all the volunteers? No, zero. As Chad points out, for the first time in 25 years, Zero protesters in London, Ontario at the Pride Parade. Yeah, yeah, that says something. And that's very good. Just want to touch on a couple things before we go. Uh, Rose sent through a note on coffee filters. Rose says Melita makes coffee filters in size, like a four or a six. Some are smaller than others. Rose says I need to look harder. Yeah, that... That's me in a number of ways, needing to look harder. Um, but thank you for that. I will I will definitely look harder. I can't find a coffee filter to fit the coffee maker. And then there's all the dripping and the cleaning up and the coffee stains on the rags. I talked about this earlier. We've had a lot of first world problems today on the show. One of the other ones was artificial lawn. And I just want to get caught up on a couple of pieces of feedback on the artificial lawn. Would you turn your lawn into astroturf, field turf, or some sort of decorative rock so that you didn't have to mow it anymore? Thomas says the idea needs to catch on. He says most lawn mowing equipment isn't emission or noise pollution regulated, just a waste of time and resources. He says, full disclosure, I love mowing the lawn, love planet Earth, more. Uh, Mark says he just finished mowing his grass, so yes. Don says yes. Uh, Miriam Hamu, who you hear sometimes on the roundtable on the Craig Needle Show, says, I like the neatness and beauty of a lawn. Let's be honest, it's a waste of everything. 
Maybe a good astroturf or planting something beneficial for the environment would be a better plan. Has to be a total paradigm shift for all of North America before it happens. And yeah, you're exactly right. Marcus says, uh, turn it back into wildflowers. That's what he did. Nature just shows up. Stephanie's up for the astroturf. Dwayne says, nope, loves his lawn. I'm, I'm thinking because you walk around. And I haven't been in the Richie Rich neighborhoods with all the fancy sprinklers and stuff. I imagine, you know, those sprinklers come on whether you want them to or not. And they are watering your lawn or you have lawn care companies come and take care of your lawn. But I don't find as many people watering the lawn anymore. And with that comes more weeds. And we we can't use weed killers in the same way. Probably a good thing. But it's time to just, yeah, it's time to abandon the manicured lawn. It is. I don't know what I'm going to grow are you allowed to grow a garden in your front lawn? Can we see the bylaws on that? Looks like London, you can turn your lawn into pra- into plastic, but I'm not sure about growing carrots in the corner on the front yard. I don't think you can do that. Thanks to Matt McInnes for his help. London Live brought to you by Courtesy Ford Lincoln at 684 Warncliffe Road South. This is Global News Radio, 980 CFPL.